I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. Today's show is all about the most important thing you can do as soon as gun season ends. I realize that gun season is still going on in many states, and in some others hasn't even started yet. The important thing is that no matter what state you hunt, gun season does eventually end. When it does, you're going to want to do a couple of things so that your bow season can wrap up the way you want, and more importantly, you can enter the next gun season with the knowledge of where the deer are going to hide out. Any of you folks out there who are hardcore gun hunters, please don't take this the wrong way. But there is a lot of half-assery in the gun hunting world. There just is. It's okay, and it's not endemic to the firearm-toting crowd, because a lot of bow hunters are prone to half-assery as well. This is just reality. A lot of hunters don't want to put in much effort, and it shows. And here's a side note for all you whitetail lovers. I know you think your state has the good hunters, and the folks who come in from out of state are the bad hunters. That's silly. If you don't believe that, just go travel a few times to kill a deer or some other critter. You'll soon see that a lot of the less desirable traits hunters can exhibit, they're kind of ubiquitous across our numbers, no matter where you live or how much you hate non-residents or even just people who aren't local. Now, if you're listening to this, which you are, I'm comfortable saying that you're probably interested in above average effort and above average results. While most of this podcast has been dedicated to bow hunting, I want to talk about the aftermath of gun hunting and how you can use it to be a better deer hunter, no matter what your weapon choice is. For starters, let's think about gun season and what it does to the deer. Essentially, it positions them, at least during daylight hours, in the places where they feel safest. That's it. Bow hunting does this as well, but usually not to the scale of gun season. Prey animals figure out where to go to avoid predators, and if they don't, they die. They don't want to die. So they seek out the spots that are most beneficial to them and their survival. You can see examples of 
all kinds of fish and game, choosing perfect spots in which to conduct some part of their life. Elk, they're masters at this. Hell, even wild pheasants know exactly where to sit so they can catch the sun, see approaching predators, and have just enough overhead cover to keep a set of talons from descending from the heavens and crunching them into rooster patties. Any of you river bass fishermen out there probably know what a little tiny sand drop can do to position a school of late summer bronzebacks so that if your cast is off 10 feet one way or the other, it's no bueno. You run a whopper plopper over or a swim jig through the sweet spot, however, and it's on. They're there for so many reasons, all of which keep them safe, keep their batteries charged, and keep them in a perfect position to whack a couple of shad that drift a little too close to their ambush site. Nature has this stuff figured out, and whitetails are no exception. There is no greater highlighter of this than the general gun season, which puts more deer hunters in the woods at any given time than any other event of the entire season, or the entire year for that matter. This is when bucks and does hit the panic button, and they go into hiding. And where they hide matters to you. What also matters here is that you understand that your job is just getting started the day the gun season ends. I honestly think the most important couple of days for a gun hunter, and if you want to be a better bow hunter, are those you can spend walking your ground right after the gun season ends. But you can't walk the easy stuff, or you'll just confirm false suspicions that all the deer are gone. They aren't, most likely anyway. They are probably just in places we don't like to go, and often they need to be stepped on to get them to move. This is a point worth reiterating, because we talk about it a lot, but rarely experience it. Deer often sit real tight when danger is close, and if we don't make them nervous enough to show themselves, they won't. And we won't know they were ever there. Case in point, my personal home state pheasant hunting tends to really start the week after our deer season ends in mid-November. I've talked about this a lot, but I'll say it again. The amount of bucks my dogs and I put up on public land every year is incredible. They are also often big. So big, in fact, that I'll bet a lot of the local deer hunters would never believe they existed in the county let alone on tracks of public land that don't feature a single tree taller than about 15 feet. Those willow thicket and cattail dwelling bucks do one of two things when we walk in. They either bust out the far side right away, usually with a few roosters flying overhead, or they sit so tight that we either walk past them or we make them nervous by how close we get. Usually that's within maybe 10 or 20 feet tops. Every season, I just about have a major chest grabber from bucks that wait until I'm right next to them before they leave. This is not something that happens to me every few years. It happens every year, multiple times. Those bucks give me and my hunting partners a perfect look at the spots they chose to ride out the gun season, which always involves patches of cover and escape routes. It's honestly so consistent that we're really no longer surprised when a 140 incher crashes his way out of our lives and makes us nearly piss ourselves. I can promise you that most deer hunters would not believe those caliber of bucks would be in those places at that time, but they are there, and I know it because we go in and we see them. I'd also bet there are plenty we don't see as well. And this is not just a gopher state buck thing either. 
I'm a certified pheasant-loving lunatic, and I see this behavior in Iowa. I see it in the Dakotas. I see it in Nebraska. It's a whitetail survival thing, and if you're not in there with them, it probably seems like random behavior at best, but it's not. Now, the deer in your woods, I promise you, they do this too. Even if your state has 600,000 or hell, 800,000 gun hunters. Radio caller studies have shown this, even on public land bucks in states like Pennsylvania, that has no shortage of orange-clad deer hunters. The first step to this is to accept that what we know about deer isn't always true. The bucks you think hop three fences to get into the PETA member's woodlot probably don't. They probably don't leave the section and might not even bail on the 60 acres that you hunt. They just slip into a little patch of broom grass or drop down a bluff to hole up next to a deadfall halfway between the bottom and the top. How do I know this? By accident, mostly. I never set out to assess the damage of gun season and find little hidey holes of hidden bucks. I set out to shoot some roosters with my labs or fill a doe tag with a muzzleloader. I set out to do other things because I'd rather hunt than not. But what I found along the way is that there's some real actionable intel to be had if you can get into the woods right after the gun season ends. But you've got to go where it's going to be a struggle. The good news is, if you do, it doesn't matter if you jump deer. Hell, that's kind of the goal. When I head out now to see where the best sanctuaries are where I hunt, I hope I jump deer. I want to see proof of life, and I want to know right where they are. So you're probably thinking, all right, fine. I'll go walk around after the season is over and intentionally try to bump some deer. That's the first step, but it's not the only thing. You have to go in with a plan, just like any random scouting trip or even a shed hunting trip. If you go in just thinking you'll walk until you see some white flags bounding away, you'll probably default to familiar routes. This is something that happens all the time, and it never ceases to amaze me when I set out to scout in this style or even follow bird dogs around the grouse woods how often I see the exact same landmarks I saw last time I hunted or scouted those spots. When you don't have a real plan, it's easy to go where you've gone before because the terrain funnels us just like it funnels big bucks during the rut. Acknowledge that. Understand that. It'll help you be more efficient. But this requires a little strategy too. Think thick. Think small here. Even in big wood situations where there's cover everywhere, Good cover is not everywhere. Advantageous bedding areas aren't everywhere either. They are in the spots that are, well, I don't know, advantageous, I guess. One of the best examples would be a little island in the swamp. I don't care if that swamp is in northern Wisconsin or the deep south somewhere. A swamp is a swamp, and the deer love them, particularly when there is a small island of high ground that is almost unapproachable. Look at those spots even if you have to wade to them. In fact, think about really good cover as islands, whether they are actually islands or not. The patches of willows we so often bump those western Minnesota bucks out of, they're islands of cover. The patch of multiflora rose or raspberries or briars in otherwise deciduous forest, also kind of like an island. Consider as well checking out the patches of cover that look like good places to hunt cottontails. Those are the spots where deer will hole up. They'll also just utilize the land left unmolested by hunters. Sometimes this is just a hillside right next to the cabin. Sometimes it's a plum thicket close to the highway. Take a long look at your OnX and make a plan to walk those places you don't usually walk or where you don't usually hunt. 
If you have to break this up into a few different trips, so be it. But pay attention to the deer sightings. Pay attention to the freshest sign. If you bump a buck or a doe, for that matter, investigate exactly the location that it came from. Make a little note on the wind direction, too. Deer hide in places with wind as a primary driver, and that can come into play next year. So if you're out there walking around and you jump a big buck out of a little patch of cover, was the wind out of the west? Was it out of the north? Why was he there? And if you don't bump any deer, or at least aren't aware that you have, the next best thing you can do is identify smoking fresh sign. I'm not talking rubs and scrapes here, but instead tracks and beds. I love fresh tracks when I can find them after the gun season because they point to deer concentrations. A deer concentration in a small thicket is a big deal because it tells you a lot. Even if the deer got out three minutes before you got in, they will have left clues and they will come back to that spot tomorrow and next year. For you bow hunters out there, this is important stuff too. Even if you abhor gun hunters and think that gun hunters are lower than weasel spit while holding your own esteem a little higher than a giraffe's balls, where those vile gun hunters push the deer is a place you want to be aware of. This can help you put together a late season plan if you need to, or just file away a sanctuary for next bow season. If this seems crazy, just go out and give it a shot. You'll find something that is remarkably consistent in my world, and that is these gun season save zones are often full of rubs and other buck sign as well. It's no secret that the top dog in your woods is also going to occupy the safest places, and there's no time he needs security more than gun season. If you hunt a place with even mild pressure, this can come into play. If you hunt public land or other super pressured ground, it's almost a guarantee. The bucks are going to use the spots that keep them alive, and the best way to find them is often to put on some miles right now. Of course, you might run into something that doesn't do you much good. Probably six years ago, I was walking a small property during muzzleloader season here in my home state of Minnesota when I bumped a good buck out of a patch of broom grass. The whole thing was maybe the size of like a pickup truck, and I just happened to walk right next to it on my way to look at a spot. That buck busted out of there on the other side and took off. He wasn't huge by like Iowa standards, but he was a stud for this, this part of Minnesota. And he was bedded in a stupid little patch of grass that did me absolutely no good as far as I could tell. Now, I, I don't know. I take that back. Now when I see a patch of grass, I think about him every single time and often send my dogs into them to see if there's any Chinese chickens hiding in there. Oftentimes there are because good cover is just good cover. So that buck did teach me a lesson. Even if his spot on that property didn't do me a whole lot of good as far as actually killing him or any other deer there. That's the real lesson here, my friends. I know I've painted this as a move that will get you in the long game with deer in a better way, but it also gets you into the woods at a time when most folks aren't in the woods. Most bow hunters have largely packed it in for the year, and of course, all gun hunters have, unless they are poachers who don't think the season dates apply to them. Time in the woods doing what others won't, that's the key to filling more tags. It's also the key to enjoying hunting more because it allows you to make better decisions at your home farm and when you're on the road. But why is that? Experience. Experience is the difference maker from the hunter who says, I don't know, they're all nocturnal or they're all dead in someone's freezer versus the person who says, I bet there are a few deer down along the river in that old homestead. Or the person who, instead of hunting two days of gun season and waving the white flag, 
goes to a backup stand midweek that is positioned over a gnarly thicket and allows for only close shots. It's the secret to becoming a better hunter versus hoping just enough time on the same stands or maybe a bottle of fresh dopey will bring a buck in. If you know where they go to feel safe, you are never out of the game, even if you can't easily hunt that spot, which is almost a given. Now again, accept that for what it is and use it as best you can. Maybe there is only one wind direction that allows you to hunt them when they are all bunched up and mostly not willing to move. Or maybe you can use that as an origination point for the best remaining deer on your property as you slide into the late season and hope for a buzzer beater buck. It doesn't matter how you individually would use that information if you don't gather it in the first place. So oil up that rifle, put it in the gun safe, but don't set your boots on the shelf yet. Make a plan to walk your ground. And if you're really ambitious, walk some of the public land you're just curious about hunting. Take note of deer sightings. Take note of fresh sign. Build yourself a picture of what happens when the going gets really tough for the deer and they enter total survival mode. Those places that allow them to exist when the masses are trying to shoot them are the key to the whole pressured deer thing. And you can get a giant jump on the competition right now by trying to figure out exactly where those places are. And as a side note, let me say something else. If you do this, you're very likely to find some dead deer. Where I hunt in Minnesota, deer drives are very popular. This means I find deadheads quite often when scouting right after the gun season. I personally really don't bother with them for a couple of reasons. The main one is that the deer head count in my house is already nearly at the point where it's going to get me divorced. The second is I don't want to go through the hassle of getting a possession tag. Now, laws vary from state to state on this. In fact, Mark covered this in a topic on the Wired to Hunt YouTube channel earlier this year. While a lot of folks think they can just go saw the head, skull plate, or antlers off and take those things home, that's not the case in many states. This is good information to know before you head out to cover some miles in the days following the gun season, because that's the best time I've ever seen to run across recently killed bucks. Lastly, if you're a muzzleloader hunter who has a late season tag left in your state, you might just put together a real winning strategy to become a hero with a front stuffer, which is actually the topic of, I don't know, the next week, maybe two, of foundations. So you're going to want to tune in for those. That's it for this week, my friends. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you want more deer hunting advice, please check out our YouTube videos at the Wired to Hunt channel and visit themediator.com slash wired to read our latest and greatest articles. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. 
Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.